All right. Welcome back for another edition of The Final Mile, where we answer your questions that you send to us throughout the week. Um, So we've got five good questions here today. But first, uh, make sure to check out all of our sponsors if you'd like to support the channel. We've got DAT. You get a free month of the DAT1 load board. Lean Solutions Group for helping with staffing and um, hiring for your company and Blue Book Services for credit and marketing resources for the lumber and produce industries. And also, if you haven't, if you want to learn more about our training options, make sure to check out the Freight Broker Basics course. It's a full length, self-paced course taught by both Ben and myself on how to start your brokerage, grow it and succeed and all that good stuff. All right, Ben. Um, how are you today, man? We just we just did a great episode with uh, Jeff over at DAT on fraud. So make sure you guys all check that one out too. But how's everything it's going? A, it's going well. It's a really good conversation. My son's getting ready to actually go to Montenegro. I don't know how long he's gone. I didn't even actually get a chance to tell him. He just decided like three days ago he's flying to Montenegro for a week or nice. something. I don't know. Um, one of his buddies over there. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to get into it today here. We got five good questions from you guys. First one comes from Thor. Uh, Thor asked us, what kind of authority, if any, is needed to become an independent dispatcher? Uh, the short answer is none. But uh, and also make sure we, we've we've talked about dispatchers quite a bit in other content. So make sure if you just go to the website Freight360.net and hit the search bar on the homepage and just type in dispatcher, you'll find all of our content, whether it's a podcast, YouTube video, blog, anything related to this for a full deep dive. Uh, but there is no authority that's required to be an independent dispatcher. I will caution you, the FMCSA has put out two sets of guidelines, the most recent being as of, I think it was June this year, 2023, on what constitutes um operating legitimately as a dispatcher and where you've crossed the line and would be considered a broker and required to have an authority. So make sure to check that out. Uh, do you remember like what the main details on that were basically like if you, if you get to control who gets a certain load, you're kind of crossing their guidance. Yeah. Like my opinion is, yeah. If you are making the choice, then you're acting as a broker of carrier, meaning like, so let's say you have, a load and you are picking which carrier you're going to put it on, you're acting as a broker. But if you have multiple carriers you're working with, they need to be defined either by like regions or by equipment type so that basically you are soliciting business only on behalf of the trucking company and one shipper. You're not soliciting business from a shipper and then using multiple carriers. That's the broker's license. Yeah. Because a lot of times dispatchers... um, their customer is going to be a freight broker, right? And their goal is let me, you know, a lot of these carriers, they don't have, if it's a, if it's a small owner operator, they don't have the, the time or the desire to go out there and find all their loads and to deal with paperwork and things like that. And it's totally okay for them to, to contract that out to an independent dispatcher. Um, but if you're a dispatcher and you let's like Ben, like you just said, if I've got a load here and I've got three different carriers that all qualify to haul that load, if I pick one, that's when I'm violating the guidelines. Now, again, this is not law at this point. The original original guidelines or guidance came out last fall, I think November, and revised again this this past summer. Um, 
But you're right. It's got to be like they're, they're saying you should be representing them. They've got to be different geographies, different equipment types, different commodities that maybe they're going to haul. Like maybe one is, is hazmat certified and the other, ones, the other ones are not. Things like that. But you do not need an authority. There is no insurance re- involved in it. Everything that you're doing technically should be under the purview and uh, the umbrella of that motor carrier. And you should be like, it should be documented on paper in a contract, what your responsibilities are. You cannot touch the money that flows through. If they're going to compensate you based off of like a percentage or a per load uh, flat fee, you know, make sure that's all documented. But um, interesting question. There is no authority. Actually, our next question is related to this. Jacqueline asks, how do I become a dispatcher? Um, Ben, you've actually, you've had a lot of good success with some of the small independent dispatchers. Um, what are your thoughts on how a, someone that wants to do it, right? In a nutshell, I've never done it, right? But I would imagine network with a bunch of carriers and brokers. What do you think? Yeah, for the most part, I mean, they're making calls to owner ops, right? To provide a service to them. So your sales call, instead of being to a shipper, typically are to trucking companies to provide them, you know, better access to the market, either better loads, more efficient backhauls. Because again, if that person is driving with 90% of their time behind the wheel, they're not going to have time to be on boards all day long looking for the best paying load, maybe the best size load or whatever the criteria are. So dispatchers add a lot of value back to owner ops for that reason, knowing the market. And you put on another one. Building relationships with other brokers is another valuable service that dispatchers can provide back to the trucking company that they work for, right? But again, like when I refer back, I'm not going to reiterate what you said, the guidelines. And again, another reason why I think even though it's not law, I mean, it does really seem, and again, this is piggybacking on our conversation with Jeff at DAT and fraud, with more and more unlicensed people in the industry and more and more fraud becoming prevalent, I just think it's going to be pretty likely that they're going to see some restrictions or maybe even laws come down governing how our industry works that are more, call it, I don't know, just more regulation just to prevent yeah, and to keep the trust in the industry so we know who we're doing business with. So I'm not saying that like you're going to go to jail if you don't do the things that they suggest, but I think it's prudent to operate a business in an ethic way if you want to yes. be in it long term, right? Like that's the whole goal. Why build something that is going to get shut down in a few months if somebody changes something? It's also I'll, I'll give you an of example time. of a, a very interesting, beneficial, healthy way that a broker can be an, also act as an independent dispatcher to help out a carrier. And I had a, a, a good friend of mine that worked in brokerage for a number of years that did this and it worked great. So he had a really solid, as a, as a broker, he had a really solid relationship with one of his carriers. And every week they ran the same dedicated uh, lanes for his one customer over and over again. And um, because of that, they gave him very good pricing, reliable service, all that good stuff, which helped his customer and his margin. But what he did as a value add to keep that carrier happy was he acted as a dispatcher for them for free, right? And what he w- and what I mean by that is he didn't um, charge them any money, but he would go he would use his access to load boards and his his knowledge of the industry and what's what and his available free time to help find them the best paying backhauls to get them back 
to where they originally started from. So I'll, let's say, for example, they're picking up in Pennsylvania and delivering in Wisconsin. He would then find them a Wisconsin back to Pennsylvania backhaul that paid a decent amount. And where the where the value is added there is, like you said, if an owner op is driving all day long, or you know, let's say a, a smaller trucking company, they're not monitoring the load boards all day long, so they don't necessarily know when a load pops up. Um, and a load could pop up and come down in five minutes, a really good paying one, right? The really good paying ones typically do get covered that quickly. So if you've got somebody that's already on the load boards all day long and can set alerts for something like that and keep their eyes on it, they can offer that additional value add service to a good carrier at no extra cost. Like, hey, it's a value add. I appreciate the rates and service that you give me for my customers on these lanes. I'll help you get your... your um, backhaul to return home as just a matter of good practice and you know good faith to you so i would say i don't think just a little bit like the one i had used before a lot that i've had a i still have a good relationship with i would say probably doesn't really operate under the new guidelines but kind of right and that's a gray area and it's interesting because this one has relationships with family um most of them are family and some like just close friends that are all independent owner op drivers, right? They all own their own, they have their own companies and they all have their own trucks, but they all really operate really in drayage in one market. Now, the way we always did it was, you know, I chose which carrier I put the rate con, sent them to her and she would do it on behalf of that company. So she never touched the money, never changed a rate con, was never paid by me. But under the new guidelines, technically all of her relationships could provide the same service. So yes. I was the one making the choice. I was going to say, but you're the one that's making right. the choice, right? If I think yeah. the guidance says if the dispatcher is the one assigning traffic, all right, or allocating traffic, right? That is where, but if she's like, hey, Ben, here's three options you 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 pick. I think she might be operating within the, the purview of their guidelines. Yeah. And that's how it was helpful to me, right? Because she was literally talking to them and knew their schedules and it saved me from having to communicate with eight separate carriers that were really eight drivers. So from my point of view, it allowed me to operate with like a carrier that had eight trucks, but I chose the company it was going to, right? And we had different criteria. Like some of the guys liked the longer hauls, they would run everything over 200. Some of the guys like going south. So there were some demographic but you're right. We always made it in a way that like I was always the one choosing and she would kind of lay it out like, hey, this guy probably could do this. But, you know, it's up to you, which carrier. And then that's how we operate it. And it was again, it worked for everybody. It helped the drivers. It helped me. And she was very good with the paperwork and still is. So it helped organize these things because these guys ran a lot of loads in some days, right? Two, three a day sometimes. Yep. Keeping that paperwork, getting it back to me, having it all organized for me to invoice correctly. It is a value add if you're doing it the correct way. Yeah, very true. All right. Next question comes from Jason. Uh, This was from YouTube. He said, solid podcast. I'd like to chime in on something that is a big problem in the expedite industry. I just left that again because it's slow, but I've talked with guys who own Sprinter vans. They don't have authority, but they have insurance and cargo insurance. They they contact brokers and they make a quote-unquote non-binding agreement with the broker that gives them no recourse if anything should happen to them while they're hauling that freight. It hits me sideways because it's not worth the paper it's written on. Apparently, the broker doesn't think that they are liable if anything should happen. I think it should be a severely punishable offense, but it should go 
but it seems to go unnoticed. Have you guys heard anything about it? If not, maybe someone should look into it quite a bit. But I talked with a bunch of drivers while I was over the road over a three-year span, and this is a common practice, especially in the Bosnian and Russian community. Not pointing fingers, but you don't have to be blind to notice that they are that they are your competition when you're in that industry. All right, so lengthy, but he makes a great point. This is kind of like... So the way we just exp- explained um, the independent dispatchers, and if they're if they're operating in the way that a freight broker is defined, they need to have the legal authority of, of a freight broker. Otherwise, that you know they're outside of the purview of what's considered the right way to do business. If somebody is acting as a motor carrier, but they're not licensed by the FMCSA, that's a huge no no. That's that is a a massive like Ooh. you can't do. People, I'm sure people do it all the time. Uh, like he said, and it just goes unnoticed. Well, who but, has no recourse? The broker? Is that what they're saying? And this piece of paper that isn't worth what it's written on? Are they are they asking the broker to say you don't have recourse? Yeah, it kind of sounds like, hey, if something happens, you don't have any recourse on me. Like, for example, um, if if I damage the freight, you can't come after me for it. And yeah, that contract really probably wouldn't hold up that well. Because they, I don't know. Well, that's, the other question that's, I would be is I like, was. that's great. You have insurance, but if you're not a legal authority, is your insurance ever going to be worth what it's printed on? Because as an insurance company, why would you pay a claim for somebody oh. operating outside of the legal? Well, I, exactly. So here's what I think, right? If I went and bought a Sprinter van and I just went to like Geico or State Farm and I got my van insured in case uh. I got in an accident or anything got damaged in it. That's probably what they're saying is they just have that's like if I just took my regular car and tried right. to go haul a small package to somebody and like it's people do that. Right. But to do it in a, in a large scale business setting, you've got to be licensed. You have to have a DOT number and an MC number if you're operating throughout the entire United States. What happens so, if anything happens to the cargo? There is no insurance. I mean, they're just driving as like a residential or like a. I don't, you don't call it a resident. I mean, I don't even know what you call it. You just call it like a, I don't know. Pedestrian. You're just driving <laughs> a car. It? Yeah, you're just driving a car, basically. But, with so like, like, here's an example. I, I had like a- $50,000 uh, in cargo in it, and you're just like, whoops. Yeah, I got I got in a car accident. Um, I had a pickup truck. I got in an accident like a bunch of years ago, and I had something in the back of the bed that got damaged in the accident. My car insurance did not cover the damage to what was in the back of the truck. Yeah, if I wanted to, I could have went through like homeowners policy or something like that to cover my property. But yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. And when you're talking about an expedited like a Sprinter van, right, they might be um, hauling like two pallets worth of very expensive stuff. So there's a lot of risk there. So um, I did not know to Jason's point. I was not aware that this was a common thing. But what I would tell you as a as a as a broker is don't ever hire a carrier that ever doesn't have their authority or doesn't have the right insurance because you will you put yourself at risk and you will learn a you will lose a customer relationship if something goes wrong. I you mean, might be saving a like, hundred bucks because a guy's willing to do it for cheaper, but it's it's not the wild some, west. Things are regulated neg- for a reason. That's some negligent shit right there. I mean yeah. <laughs> All right, interesting. Um Next up, H&K Logistics says, if you could change one thing about the trucking industry, what would it be and why? This came through our Facebook page or Facebook group, Freight and Carriers Network. I was asked this question in 2019, and I, uh, 
in 2019, I said, I wish that everyone like brokers and carriers would just get along better and stop bashing each other. But there's a new precedent. I still agree with that. But even more so, and this goes back to our conversation with Jeff from TAT on the last episode of the podcast, fraud, man. I am like so burned out from double brokerage, triple bro. I found we've had instances where we're like, we think there was like, this was like quadruple brokered. Like there's that many times that this load got passed around. We were just trying to track down who did it go to next? Who did it go to next? Who actually hauled it? And we have no idea. I am. It is like fatigue, man. Like people went through like the whole COVID fatigue. They're just burnt out from wearing a mask and staying at home. I am like fraudulent activity fatigued at this point in brokerage. So I wish it would just stop. And I think good technology and some legislation and bring down the hammer. Hopefully we'll try to course correct that. But that's my take. How about you, Ben? I mean, would you change? A, that's an easy choice, right? I think fraud is by far like the biggest thing that if I could wave a magic wand, it would be to get rid of the bad actors within the industry. Um, well, let me ask you this before I ask. Yeah. Let's take fraud and put that on the side. Apart from fraud, what would you say if you could wave a magic wand that you would change about the trucking industry? I go back to the same thing I said in 2019. Um, carriers, brokers getting along and not bashing each other. I think the larger brokers and carriers absolutely understand the big picture, but I think there's, there's some owner operators and there's some small brokers that they just don't know what they don't know. And they think because they saw somewhere on Facebook, a Facebook page or TikTok or whatever, somebody was like, Oh, this person's bad. And here's why I think there's a misunderstanding that brokers are thieves and we're just taking money that the carriers should get. When the reality is we add a ton of value to the small owner operators and the small carriers out there because we become their sales force. We act as a way to help them get their money quickly, sometimes like same day, but definitely faster than the, the customer pays us on average. So I just, I guess if there was more understanding of how the, the industry works and how we all benefit each other, and it's kind of like a, you know, it's a, it's a beautifully written piece of music that all everyone kind of works together, not that one, one person in the transaction is basically raking the other one over the coals. So agreed. I'd say my number one is I'd get rid of non-competes um, is what I would do. I, would, <laughs> ah, I didn't even think about that one. Sure. Because I, I think if you wiped away non-competes, you would see a resurgence of lots of small businesses benefit. And I think, again, I don't think they're ethical. I've been on both sides of them. And I think that companies use them and then lean on the legal system to create judicial moats around their business that are bullshit in a lot of ways. I think non-solicits and you shouldn't be able to steal or take your customers, but I don't think you should prevent somebody from working in their chosen industry for a year or two. I think that is in almost some ways like anti-American and that you can't work in your chosen field because you worked for a certain company um, is my number one. And two is probably your second one. Like I think information education, which is why we started Freight 360 to both sides, carriers and brokers, yeah. for them both to understand how each of them add value to each of their businesses and how working more cooperatively is genuinely not only mutually beneficial, but everybody wins. And I think, again, what you said, I'll reiterate a little bit, is that if you're a good broker or a good carrier, right, there are many opportunities 
for win, 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 or the shipper wins because you find efficiencies, the broker wins because they profit from finding these efficiencies with carriers in different lanes and different ways to find effectiveness and efficiencies. And the yep. carriers win because they got more reliable or more access to consistent freight and don't have the ups and downs. And I think that is the kumbaya version of what the industry could be could right, be. in some ways, yeah. but likely never will. <laughs> well, all it takes is uh, everyone treating each other with respect and it will make the, the freight world a little bit of a better place each time we do that. So doesn't cost anything to be nice. It doesn't. You're right. You're right. All right. Our last question comes from Sierra. She says, just a quick question. I'm new to being a freight broker and our company is already established and we have one place that we are getting loads from. Looking to try to build on our company, but struggling to get more loads. Does anyone have any tips on how to try to bid on loads or websites I can utilize to build off of? So um, this is essentially how do I find shippers and how do I get business? One of those questions. So I will tell you for a deep dive, check out all of our material on prospecting and lead generation on our website. Just go to freight360.net. Go to the search bar around the homepage and type in prospecting or sales or leads, anything like that. You'll find a ton of stuff in there. But this is a numbers game. Um, we always say break up your sales activity into lead gen and prospecting as two separate activities. So number one, get a list of all of the companies you want to prospect. That's your leads. And then actually go and prospect them. So you're making your phone calls, your follow-up phone calls, your emails, whatever it might be. If it's in person for some of the ones that are local to you, break those up. And we call that batching, right? Batching your leads prospecting with a purpose, uh, but it's a numbers game, right? So you're not going to get a yes out of every single prospecting call. You're not going to get someone on the phone for every single prospecting call. Um, you're not going to get a prospect that even answers the phone every single time to answer your questions or not throw up um, objection after objection. It is a long game of numbers. So if you make a hundred calls uh, we, I think we like went through the stats on this the one day, but like if you make a hundred calls in a day, how many do you think actually pick up on average? Like uh, it's been a while since I put up that much volume. Cause it, a hun- yeah. A hundred calls. You're pretty much, it's a nine hour day. You're generating leads for an hour or two and you're just literally moving to dial through them. Like my numbers, when I would make up, and again, I would probably range between 85 or 90 and a buck 20, 120 calls a day when I was first starting in the industry. And a good metric was if I spoke to between three and five people, that was a great day. If I spoke to like one to three, it was a productive day. And a poor day was zero or one was kind of how I looked at it. Yeah, I always did it. If I had one good conversation, and this is like any kind of sales role. Yes. Right? If you had one good conversation that day, that's a great day. Yes. I don't think I ever made 100 calls in a day. I, I've definitely done like 50 or 60. Um, and yeah, one, one, conversa- one good conversation is a great day in my yes. opinion. But I think, I mean, less than half answered the phone. Oh, way they, less They're than not half. expecting your call. Yeah, if you're calling 100 people, you might have... And most of which are gatekeepers, you might have, you know, five to 10 to 12, maybe that are even going to answer. If you're calling bigger companies, you get lots of gatekeepers. So you will have answers, but they're not decision makers. Yeah. They're they're not going to put you always pass you through to that decision maker. Those can be valuable because you can definitely leverage gatekeepers. You can learn from them and you can take that in a win. Right. And I gave, I answered a question similar to this on 
YouTube today or yesterday, what's like, it's way more of a marathon than a sprint. And why most people don't make it is because they have unrealistic expectations. They're expecting to close customers every day. Full stop, that won't happen in any market. But what I would say is you have really articulated it better, even than what I said earlier, is it like, like, that's the way I look at a good day. If I can move the ball forward a few yards every day with one prospect, that's a win. Like I've been able to try to do two or three a day, but again, I've been doing a lot longer and how I go about it is probably a lot different than when I started. But again, and that's the way I look at it. Like I use football as like my mental analogy. I'm like, you got to move the ball all the way down the field with every prospect. And it takes a lot of conversations, like eight to 12 with an average prospect to turn them into a customer. So every time I try to talk to them, I need to learn one or two more things. I need to build a little more trust. I need to get them to know me a little better. And I try to get to know them a little bit better personally. And if any one of those things happen, that's a win. And if I can move the ball one or two yards every single day, eventually you start moving prospects all the way across the field and inevitably they start turning into customers regardless because shit happens. Their other brokers drop the ball. Their other carriers will have missed pickups. Their trucks break down. Everything else we know goes wrong in the industry. That creates opportunities. But you have to be prepared by making lots of calls to position yourself to actually get the luck to be there when they actually need you. If you don't make those phone calls, you know, those relationships, you're never there to be available when things go wrong to capitalize on them. I I see you got a Thomas Edison quote here. Talk me through this because that actually is pretty good. It was one that it was actually in someone else's newsletter that I'd saw this week and I really liked. It was just opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. And to me, in fact, I read that right after I answered the question that you just asked me and I saw it and saved it in here. Cause I'm like, this is really what prospecting's like. Yeah. Like it really, to me is you're going to go put on overalls. You're going to go out and you're going to go dig holes until you find gold. You're not going to find it in the first one and you won't find it in the second one. But if you stay at it and you're consistent, you will. It's just, are you going to give up before you actually get there? Exactly. Well, hey, thanks for your questions. Continue to share us. Um, Funny story. I talked to somebody today and they were referred over to me about something in brokerage through Reddit. So somebody's like, you got to go talk to Nate. Um, And I just thought about, man, like people, you know, share us with whether you work in an office with other people, you can share us there. Share us with your friends via email or, hey, share us with everybody in Reddit. For, you know, the the more the better, right? Our numbers are growing. We got a bunch of stuff on YouTube. We're on TikTok, Instagram. I don't think we're on Twitter or X, whatever it's called now. Um, but uh, yeah, just keep sharing us. Send us your questions. You go right to our website, freight360.net. There's a contact us form. You can ask them in the, the Facebook group. We can't get to all of them, but we're trying our best to give you guys um, as much content as possible. And so. more, more of recently, we just picked up an intern. So shout out to Steven who joined the team fairly recently. So he's going to be helping assist all the customer questions, all the client questions and anything else you guys need. So keep the questions coming, keep sending them our way and we're going to get to them as fast as we can. Exactly. Final thoughts, Ben. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. Go Bills.